Section 19 of the Philosophy of the Plan of Salvation by James Barr Walker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19 Concerning the Practical Effects of the System. The evidence which the Lord Jesus Christ proposed as proof of the divinity of the gospel system was its practical effect upon individuals who receive and obey the truth. Quote, if ye do of the works, ye shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God. End quote. If a sick man calls a physician, who prescribes a certain medicine, which, by his receiving it according to the directions, cures him, he then knows both the efficacy of the medicine and the skill of the physician. Experience is evidence to the saints of the divinity of the system and its effects in restoring the soul to moral health is evidence to the world of the divine efficacy and power of its doctrines. By their fruits ye shall know them. In closing our volume, therefore, we have now only briefly to inquire what are the ascertained practical effects of faith in Christ. We shall not refer to the moral condition of man in countries under the influence of the gospel compared with his condition in pagan lands. We will not dwell upon the fact which, of itself, is sufficient to establish at once and forever the divine origin of evangelical religion and the truth of the distinctive views developed in the preceding chapters, that the most holy men and women that have ever lived have been those who exercised most constant and implicit faith in Christ. Passing these facts, important in themselves, we will close our volume by a statement of facts concerning the present influence of faith in Christ upon individuals now living, and subject to the examination of any one who might be skeptical upon the subject. The following is a true statement of the influence of the religion of Jesus upon several individual members of a village church in one of the United States. It is composed of members of common intelligence and those in the common walks of life. Other churches might have been selected, in which, perhaps, a greater number of interesting cases might have been found. And there are other individuals in this church that would furnish as good an illustration of the power of the gospel as some of those which are noticed below. This church has been selected because the writer had a better opportunity of visiting it in order to obtain the facts than any other in which he knew the power of the religion of Christ was experienced. With the individuals spoken of, I am well acquainted, having frequently conversed with them all on the subjects of which I shall speak. Their words in all cases may not have been remembered, but the sense is truly given. Case 1. An old man who has been a professor of religion from early life. He was once a deacon or elder of the church. Twenty years ago he was struck with paralysis by which he has been ever since confined almost entirely to his room. His situation is one that, to a mind which had no inward consolation, would be irksome in the extreme. His books are the Bible and one or two volumes of the old divines. He is patient and happy, and speaking of the love of Christ almost invariably suffuses his eyes with tears. He delights to dwell on religious subjects, and to talk with a pious friend of the topics which his heart loves gives him evident delight. Recently, his aged companion, who had trodden the path of life with him from youth to old age, died in his presence. 
she died what is called by christians a triumphant death her last words were addressed to her children who stood around i see the cross a gleam of pleasure passed over her features her eyes lighted up with peculiar brightness she said blessed jesus the last hour is come i am ready and thus she departed at her death the old man wept freely and wept aloud but his sorrow he said was mingled with a sweet joy how desolate would have been the condition of this poor cripple for the last twenty years without the consolations of faith in christ and when his aged companion died who had for years sat by his side how appalling would have been the gloom that would have settled upon his soul had not his mind been sustained by heavenly hope his case shows that the religion of christ will keep the affections warm and tender even to the latest periods of old age and give happiness to the soul under circumstances of the most severe temporal bereavement case two a converted atheist i knew that there were those in the world who professed to doubt the existence of a god but i had met with no one in all my intercourse with mankind who seemed so sincerely and so entirely an atheist as the individual whose case is now introduced the first time that i met him was at the house of his son-in-law a gentleman of piety and intelligence his appearance was that of a decrepit disconsolate old man in the course of conversation he unhesitatingly expressed his unbelief of the existence of a god and his suspicion of the motives of most of those who professed religion i learned from others that he had ceased in some measure to have intercourse with men had become misanthropic in his feelings regarding mankind in the light of a family of sharks preying upon each other and his own duty in such a state of things he supposed to be to make all honest endeavours to wrest from the grasp of others as much as he could he used profane language opposed the temperance reformation and looked with the deepest hatred upon the ministers of religion his social affections seemed to be withered and his body sympathizing was distorted and diseased by rheumatic pains one this old man had for years been the subject of special prayer on the part of his pious daughter and his son-in-law and he was finally persuaded by them to attend a season of religious worship in the church of which they were members during these services which lasted several days he passed from a state of atheism to a state of faith the change seemed to surprise every one and himself as much as any other from being an atheist he became the most simple and implicit believer he seemed like a being who had waked up in another world the sensations of which were all new to him and although a man of sound sense in business affairs when he began to express his religious ideas his language seemed strange and incongruous from the fact that while his soul was now filled with new thoughts and feelings he had no knowledge of the language by which such thoughts were usually expressed the effects produced by his conversion were as follows stated at one time to myself and upon another occasion to one of the most eminent medical practitioners of this country one of the first things which he did after his conversion was to love in a practical manner his worst enemy there was one man in the village who had as he supposed dealt treacherously with him 
in some money transactions which had occurred between them. On this account, personal enmity had long existed between the two individuals. When converted, he sought his old enemy, asked his forgiveness, and endeavored to benefit him by bringing him under the influence of the gospel. 2. His benevolent feelings were awakened and expanded. His first benevolent offering was twenty-five cents in a collection for charitable uses. He now gives very liberally, in proportion to his means, to all objects which he thinks will advance the interests of the gospel of Christ. Besides supporting his own church and her benevolent institutions, no enterprise of any denomination which he really believes will do good fails to receive something from him if he has the means. During the last year he has given more with the design of benefiting his fellow men than he had done in his whole lifetime before. 3. His affections have received new life. He said to me, in conversation upon the subject, quote, One part of the scriptures I feel to be true, that which says, I will take away the hard and stony heart, and give you a heart of flesh. Once I seemed to have no feeling. Now, thank God, I can feel. I have buried two wives and six children, but I never shed a tear. I felt hard and unhappy. Now my tears flow at the recollection of these things. The tears at that time wet the old man's cheeks. It is not possible that since his conversion there has been a single week that he has not shed tears. Before conversion he had not wept since the age of manhood. An exhibition of the love of Christ will, at any time, move his feelings with gratitude and love, until the tears moisten his eyes. 4. Effect upon his life. Since his conversion he has not ceased to do good as he has had the opportunity. Several individuals have been led to repent and believe in Christ through his instrumentality. Some of these were individuals whose former habits rendered a change of character very improbable in the eyes of most individuals. One of them, who had fallen into the habit of intemperance, is now a respectable and happy father of a respectable Christian family. He has been known to go to several families on the same day, pray with them, and invite them to attend religious worship on the Sabbath and when some difficulty was stated as a hindrance to their attendance, he has assisted them to buy shoes, and granted other little aids of the kind, in order that they might be induced to attend divine service. Since the first edition was issued, a most remarkable fact concerning this old man has come to the knowledge of the author. When converted, one of his first acts, although he had heard nothing of any such act in others, was to make out a list of all his old associates then living within reach of his influence. For the conversion of these he determined to labor as he had opportunity, and pray daily. On his list were one hundred and sixteen names, among whom were skeptics, drunkards, and other individuals as little likely to be reached by Christian influence as any other men in the region. Within two years from the period of the old man's conversion, one hundred of these individuals had made a profession of religion. We can hardly suppose that the old man was instrumental in the conversion of all these persons. Yet the fact is one of the most remarkable that has been developed in the progress of Christianity. 5. 
effect upon his happiness. In a social meeting of the church where he worships, I heard him make such an expression as this, quote, I have rejoiced but once since I trusted in Christ, that has been all the time, end quote. His state of mind may be best described in his own characteristic language. One day he was repairing his fence. An individual passing addressed him. Mr. Blank, you are at work all alone. Not alone, said the old man. God is with me. He said that his work seemed easy to him, and his peace of mind continued with scarcely an interruption. I saw him at a time when he had just received intelligence that a son, who had gone to the south, had been shot in a personal altercation in one of the southern cities. The old man's parental feelings were moved, but he seemed even under this sudden and most distressing affliction to derive strong consolation from trust in God. 6. Physical Effects of the Moral Change As soon as his moral nature had undergone a change, his body, by sympathy, felt the benign influence. His countenance assumed a milder and more intelligent aspect. He became more tidy in his apparel, and his thousand pains, in a good measure, left him. In his case, there seemed to be a renovation both of soul and body. This case is not exaggerated. The old man is living, and there are a thousand living witnesses to this testimony, among whom is an intelligent physician, who, hearing the old man's history of his feelings, and having known him personally for years, the obvious effects which the faith in Christ had produced in this case, combined with other influences by which he was surrounded, led him seriously to examine the subject of religion as it concerned his own spiritual interest. By this examination he was led to relinquish the system of rational religion, as the Socinian system is most inappropriately called by its adherents, and profess his faith in orthodox religion. CASE 3. TWO INDIVIDUALS WHO HAVE ALWAYS BEEN POOR IN THIS WORLD'S GOODS, BUT WHO ARE RICH IN FAITH. MANY YEARS AGO THEY LIVED IN A NEW SETTLEMENT WHERE THERE WERE NO RELIGIOUS SERVICES. THE NEIGHBORHOOD, AT THE SUGGESTION OF ONE OF ITS MEMBERS, MET TOGETHER ON THE SABBATH TO SING SACRED MUSIC AND TO HEAR A SERMON READ. THOSE SERMONS WERE THE MEANS OF THE CONVERSION OF THE MOTHER OF THE FAMILY. SHE LIVED AN EXEMPLARY LIFE, but her husband still continued impenitent, and became somewhat addicted to intemperance. Some of the children of the family, as they reached mature years, were converted. The husband, and finally, after a few years, all the remaining children, embraced religion. From the day of the husband's conversion, he drank no more liquor, and, he says, he always afterwards thought of the habit with abhorrence. The old people live alone. The old woman's sense of hearing has so failed that she hears but imperfectly. When the weather will allow, she attends church regularly, but sometimes hears but little of the sermon. She sits on the Sabbath and looks up at the minister, with a countenance glowing with an interested and happy expression. She has joy to know that the minister is preaching about Christ. The minister once described religion possessed, as a spring of living water, flowing from the rock by the wayside, which yields to the weary traveller refreshment and delight. The old lady at the close remarked, with meekness, 
I hope I have drunk many times of those sweet waters. Except what concerns their particular domestic duties, the conversion of this aged pair is almost entirely religious. They are devout and very happy in each other's society, and sometimes in their family devotions and religious conversations their hearts glow with love to God. They look forward to death with the consoling hope that they will awake in the likeness of the glorious Saviour, and so be forever with the Lord. Case 4. A female who early in life united with the church, and conscientiously performed the external duties of Christian life. She had, for many years, little if any happiness in the performance of her religious duties, yet would have been more unhappy if she had not performed them. She married a gentleman, who, during the last years of his life, was peculiarly devoted. During this period, in attending upon the means of grace, she experienced an entire change in her religious feelings. She felt, as she says, that, quote, Now she gave up all for Christ. She felt averse to everything which she believed to be contrary to his will, to the will of Jesus she could now submit for ever, with joyful and entire confidence. She now loved to pray, and found happiness in obeying the Saviour. She made, as she believes, at that time, an entire surrender of all her interests, for time and eternity, to Christ, and since then her labours in his service have been happy labours. Before they were constrained by conscience, now they are prompted by the affections. She does not think she was not a Christian before. She had repented in view of the law, but she had not, till the time mentioned, exercised affectionate faith in Christ. Footnote. Are there not many in all the churches who have been convicted of sin, and who have perhaps repented, but have not exercised full faith in Christ? End footnote. She now often prays most solicitously for the conversion of sinners and the sanctification of the church. She loves to meet weekly in the female circle for prayer, and labors to induce others to attend with her. Her little son, nine years of age, is, as she hopes, a Christian, and her daughter, just approaching the years of womanhood, has recently united with the church. Two years since, her husband died under circumstances peculiarly afflicting. She prayed for resignation, and never felt any disposition to murmur against the providence of God. She sometimes blamed herself that she had not thought of other expedients to prolong, if possible, the life of one that she had loved so tenderly. But to God she looked up with submission, and said in spirit, the cup that my father hath mingled for me, shall I not drink it? Her husband she views as a departed saint, whom she expects to meet in a better world. She cherishes his memory with an affection that seems peculiarly sacred, and the remembrance of his piety is a consoling association connected with the recollections of one now in heaven. Footnote. That the marriage bond becomes more sacred, and the reciprocal duties of affection more tender, between two hearts that both love Jesus, I have no doubt. The feelings of this pious widow favor the supposition, and the facts recorded in the biographies of Edwards, Fletcher, and Corvoso fully confirm it. End footnote. A single incident develops the secret of that piety which gives her peace, 
and makes her useful. One of the last times that I saw her, she stated, in conversation upon the subject, that a short time before she had read a Sabbath school book which one of her children had received, in which was a representation of Christ bearing his cross to Calvary. While contemplating this scene, love and gratitude sprang up in her heart, which were subduing, sweet, and peaceful beyond expression. How is it, reader, that the contemplation of such a scene of suffering should cause such blessed emotions to spread like a rich fragrance through the soul, and rise in sweet essence to God? It is the holy secret of the cross of Christ, which none but the saints know, and even they cannot communicate. Footnote. Thomas Akempis endeavored to give expression to the consciousness of the divine life in the soul. Quote, Frequenis Christi visitatio cum homine interno, dulcis, sermocinatio, grata consolatio, multa pax, end quote, etc. End footnote. End of section 19.